Welcome to podcast number 33 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is January 15th, 2019, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Returning guest is John Suggs, genetic genealogist and owner of FamilyOrchard.com. John is a pioneer in forensic and genetic genealogy with over a dozen years of experience in finding and reuniting lost loved ones. He has recently expanded his work portfolio to include assisting members of law enforcement in the solving of criminal cold cases. He's going to talk about the latest advances in DNA and crime-solving techniques. Welcome back, John Suggs. My Favorite Detective Stories podcast features past or present detectives and investigative journalists. As a working investigator of over 42 years, I hope to inform, inspire, and entertain you with great stories. We want to learn from our guests how they got started in the field and why they decided to become investigators in the first place. Listen as they tell us about the early years and who were their mentors and why those mentors had such a huge impact on their careers. We'll explore what makes for a good investigator and what makes for good investigators investigation. But most importantly, after you get to know our guests, we will ask them for their favorite detective story, or maybe two. Stay tuned. The interview is about to begin. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. So uh, it's been a while since we talked last, but in that time frame, oh my Lord, all the changes and advancement in DNA testing as it relates to solving crimes. These are the type of things that have been just rocking and rolling coming across my feeds over the last, uh, I guess, maybe five, six months. And I know uh, you as well. So I, I want you to be our expert on this and <laughs> just kind of fill us in and what's going on and what's happening and let us know uh, what the latest is. Oh, great. Well, this year, 2018, was the year that everything changed and we're all completely transformed in law enforcement and DNA. Um, what we have seen happens since the spring was genetic genealogists like myself that have for years been using DNA analysis and doing reverse engineering of family trees to be able to find um, birth families and birth parents and people of, of unknown identity and so forth to be able to find out um, their, their family connections. It has now been uh, transferred over to law enforcement. And it started this past spring with uh, with the Golden State Killer being brought to justice. Um, and what you need to understand with how this this marriage has come about is that law enforcement, traditionally, they have their own DNA database called the CODIS. And the CODIS database has about 17.7 million uh, profiles in the database. And there are very, very strict rules about who gets access to that database. And the majority, obviously, of, uh, of the DNA profiles are profiles of uh, people that are uh, convicted offenders. And the other challenge with CODIS is that it can only identify close relatives. The data that they have in file can only identify relatively close family relatives. And so for too often, it's very hard. If somebody hasn't has been below the radar screen and uh, and just hasn't been you know uh, effective, their DNA is not going to show up. There's not going to be a match in CODIS. But okay. what is happening is that the commercial genetic ancestry test sites, 
have as much, if not more, uh, DNA profiles on, on file at this point. And the, the other unique difference is that the um, commercial sites util- utilizing the autosomal DNA, you're able to go back seven generations to find a search for a match, seven generations on your mother's side, seven generations on your father's side. And so how our work as genetic genealogists has always worked, and now it's being applied to law enforcement, is if you find a third cousin, you're pretty able, well able and well equipped to be able to identify and find the person. And so for law enforcement, what we're talking about is um, that just a third cousin to be able to get to this. And, and just to give your your reader or your listeners... Uh, a, a sense of this that it's estimated that over 90% of Americans of European extraction already have at least a third cousin in the commercial DNA databases. Okay. 9%. So um, there's a couple of things there that uh, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot about a little bit, mm-hmm. but not too badly because I know this is your area of expertise. Uh, I am, let's see, my 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 son and my daughter are their generation. I'm the next generation. My parents and my wife's parents are the next generation. Uh, my grandparents are the next generation after that. The great-grandparents take me back to... Uh, uh, probably sometime in the mid-1800s, if I'm not mistaken, uh, late-1800s maybe. So a couple more generations back, if we're talking about a present-day 30-year-old uh, with seven generations back, they're, they're talking about somebody that's living in 2018, and that goes back into the... Uh, with the 1700, 1600, 1700. 1700, 1600. Okay. Yeah. That's how far back it goes. Okay. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> just help me, I, I know what a third cousin is, <laughs> uh-huh. but uh, maybe some of our listeners don't. So if you could tell uh, the listeners what a third cousin is, uh, then they can get an idea of how wide this spread is. Sure. Um, a lot of times people get confused with like a second cousin once removed versus a third cousin. Um, uh, a first cousin is somebody who is a child of one of your aunts or uncles. Right. And they're, and they're the child of your aunt or uncle so they are your first cousins gotcha if they were to have a child that their child would be a first cousin once removed got it but if you were to have a child they would be related to that the child of your first cousin as a second cousin the the children of my cousins the children of your first cousins right. would be the second cousins to your children. Okay. It, it gets confusing. I always like to just use a, a chart because people okay. can can see it better when you're just you're using boxes and you can say, oh, okay, so this is how that they fit in. That's and okay. and so it basically cuts down to how if you share a, a, a grandmother um, or grandfather versus a great grandmother grandfather versus a great grandfather great-grandmother grandfather that, okay. uh, so if you share uh, a grandmother then and you have different parents then you're a first cousin great-grandmother second cousin great-great-grandmother third cousin or beyond oh that makes it so much better but now great-great so you have great-great-grandparents uh and you start with that moving down into the family tree yeah. uh 
they have uh, great grandparents, then grandparents, then parents, then kids. So as each generation, you know, has uh, multiple births, the tree gets wider and wider. So, exactly. okay. So at a third generation level. Third uh, cousin, not third generation. So, excuse third me. Cousin. A third cousin level, uh, the DNA is able to uh, connect uh, from, you know, the crime scene DNA to uh, somebody that if there's somebody is in the database in a commercial database uh, and it matches the the crime scene it's not an ex- it could be an, an exact match but if it's if it's a close match it puts you into their uh, family tree at the third as far as the third cousin level goes do I do exactly. I have that right and see and that's where the work comes in because we do what we call a uh, uh, re- reverse engineering where what I do I spend a lot of my days uh, building out family trees for these third cousins where you get a match with somebody and you build out their family trees and then you get another match for somebody else and you build out their family trees until you have enough family trees out there that you're able to overlay them and you're able to determine which line is uh, is the correct line. And so that's how these cases are being solved using genetic genealogy is that uh, it is <clears throat> the relatives because when you take a DNA test, your what's in your DNA is also everything that's behind you for seven generations. And so if your cousin uh, or, or, you know, your, your sibling took a DNA test, we can, we can match him to you. Okay. And so that's, that's the, the, the big breakthrough here is how we're able to do this. And so adoptee, uh, the adoptee community has been doing this for years. I mean, we basically perfected this tool and this method. And, uh, because court records have been sealed for, uh, adult adoptees, the only way they could find their birth parents and their birth siblings is through DNA. And so that's exactly what has happened. And the adoptee community has pushed the envelope and push the envelope. And every time the scientists said it couldn't be done, um, our community did it. And so that's part of the irony here is that now law enforcement is using our tools and our methods to solve crimes. And we're happy they are. But the irony is in many, many states, the adoptees are still uh, denied access to their records. So the very courts that are taking in this information and, 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 um, you know, judging and throwing the book at, at, at criminals still won't let the people that invented the process access to their records, their legal records. So that's just something I would urge your listeners to be aware of. It's 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 an irony sure. situation. But that's just one aspect of law enforcement it, it being impacted and being transformed by the DNA revolution. Another aspect is, is um, the phenotype uh, prediction. And phenotype, what that means is that we now, through a DNA, can come up with a very, very strong facsimile of of a person's face. We can tell through the DNA the person's skin color, skin tone. We can tell the color of their eyes, the color of their hair. Uh, you know, the, 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 the facial features and, and, and so forth. And so what that is known as is called a, a, a bio witness. Instead of using an eyewitness to sit down with the sketch artist at the police department, now we're able to run the DNA and come up with a, a sketch based simply on, on that. And so 
it's a DNA mugshot that bio witnesses, the DNA is able to come up with. And again, a lot of this, just like the genetic genealogy, the, the, the phenotype predictions, they aren't, you know, locked in, 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 in steel, but they are used for investigators, um, basically to exclude people that, uh, you know, just it's a lot easier when you're looking at a case to be able to know that you're looking just for people that are blue eyed are um you know are are that kind of thing so you can you can winnow out your list of suspects um it can also generate new leads and um and it can also it is also used to identify remains when uh when uh, a body is discovered and there's no id on it as well and that's part so, of the identification processes that's going on right now as we speak out with the california wildfires exactly yeah and that's that's one of the the, the the real blessings of this technology is that people will get their answers and uh, and will be able to finally know what happened to their missing relatives. Okay, so um, are you conversant enough on the facts about the Golden State Killer case to be able to talk about how that all came together? Uh, or is that just uh, from what you understand from uh, reading it the way I am? No. Um, well, I you know, we're a small community in the genetic genealogists and uh, and I, I know the the person that that uh, aided that process and helped the FBI on that. Uh, but it's it was pretty much it took you know a while, but it was time and time again of building out the trees, building out the trees, building out the trees. And what allowed it is that that on ZedMatch, that which is a database site that allows anybody to upload their DNA. Okay. And so uh, they uploaded, you know, the suspect's DNA and they came up with matches and they built out the family trees and they were able to really uh, eventually narrow it down to, you know, a specific family line. And then what the police have to do is uh, you can basically say, I think it is so and so. Then they they go out and um, and eventually get a DNA uh, sample from 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 the person uh, and they run the DNA and sure enough there's a match or if it's an innocent person there isn't a match. Yeah. So, so when so, you talk about in the very very beginning of that explanation you said the suspect DNA you meant the DNA that was recovered at the scenes yeah, of crimes exactly not not a known suspect but just the DNA that was uh, the recovered. DNA right. exactly so then that DNA was tested and then when it was compared with DNA in the commercial database sites it brought you into a family of the alleged yeah, yeah right and the alleged perpetrator and because I believe he was already in the pool of suspects it made for a rather interesting um, I don't want to use the word match but verification it was a match but it was also a verification that there was a reason why he was in the pool of suspects and now the DNA was making a stronger case for that and then they I believe they tested his DNA and it matched directly with the DNA at the crime scenes. Do I have that right? Uh, pretty much. Pretty much. That, that's that's how it is done. But um, it's it's specifically done by being able to find the person. And, and the other thing is, again, CODIS has 17 and change million uh, profiles. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so you can fish from that pool, that pond, uh, but it's, it's much more helpful to be able to fish from more generalized uh, pool and pond sure. um, and to be able to go that route. 
And so with the with the DNA mugshots, like we're seeing, is that you know the, they're they're rarely you know released to the public, but they're there for the investigative team to be able to look at and to be able to see. To be able to gauge, I mean, you, you can, uh, they can predict if the person is balding, um, you know, and all sorts of things. But because it can't tell you if the person dyed his hair or had a beard or something of that sort, you know, it's, it, it, it does have its own limitations. Sure. But, but it is transforming this. So I, the big thing is the bio witnesses instead of an eyewitness. Right. And, and you know, and we all know eyewitnesses can, can, um, not always be entirely reliable. So the same with this, but these are all tools and checks and balances to be able to come back. And then the the probably the the other big development that's come out this year is the FBI is an, has announced that they are planning to roll out a rapid DNA network starting in the new year. Okay, what, what this is is there are two agencies now, for profit agencies, commercial agencies that have a, a system in place where you can do the DNA test within two hours. And so the the idea is, is that what has held back uh, law enforcement a lot on, on, on various aspects is the, the delay and the time that it takes to gather the DNA and to send it to the lab and get the results and everything else. And so what this is is proposing to revolutionize for the police work is that they the FBI wants to have these programs in booking stations. And so you bring somebody in and they are, you know, under arrest or under and so forth. And um, and before they're released on bail, you can take their DNA, you can run it, and here you it, by being in the in the booking station, it's it's uh, acceptable to be able to run it through CODIS, and you can find out if there are you know other other uh, crimes out there for this person if this person is is wanted elsewhere, and so you can literally know that in two hours while the guy's cooling his heels in the in in the booking cell. Right. So uh, that that also brings up a question: uh, is is this t- the type of extraction of DNA after an arrest? Um, some uh, states have uh, have that, that they're allowed to draw DNA as a matter of course. But then there's other states that say, no, the person has been arrested but not convicted of any crime in this particular situation. So you don't have a right to take their uh, DNA. Is that, is that uh, am I saying that right? Or You're saying that absolutely right. In fact, the specifics are there are 30 states and the federal government government uh, that are allowed to take DNA at the time of arrest. Okay. Uh, there are 16 states allowed to analyze it immediately. And in 14 other states, you can take the DNA at the arrest, but you can't analyze it until after the arraignment has, has taken place. Okay. And so each state, you know, th- there are different uh, categories here. So obviously these would go uh, be are going to be rolled out in the states where um, they are allowed first. Hmm. Now, it'd be interesting if for some reason that DNA becomes a hit on another crime or another crime scene or uh, whatever, but yet the underlying arrest from which the DNA was ex- uh, was extracted, say, like uh, I get arrested, my DNA is taken, turns out that the arrest is being vacated or there's not really a probable cause for the arrest. Does the... <laughs> 
<laughs> does the findings that come from my DNA based upon what essentially is a false arrest <laughs> uh, usable uh, in those other in those other jurisdictions? I, I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah, that that's loud. way above my pay grade, and I, I didn't go to law school. That yeah. uh, so I think that's for others to sort that one out. Maybe uh, we, maybe we get a listener to ask you know answer that question for us. But uh, you know, I, I I think the answer is probably uh, no. I mean, it's uh, yeah that is still acceptable because it would be the same thing as fingerprints. If your fingerprint, your fingerprinted when you're booked and now your fingerprints appear in some other heinous crime, well, then you're, you're now connected to that heinous crime. So I don't see how, um, the DNA would be any different than that. I'm just wondering because it's, you know, involving a swab or some other type of other testing. So, but anyhow. Well, it's also, we're in new territory and, you know, I mean, the, the courts have been keeping up to speed on this, but, uh, like these rapid DNA, uh, testing they're just it's happening so fast in fact one of the 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 misconceptions is is that you the police would not bring a rapid dna test uh to a crime scene uh and the rationale for that is again the 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 chain of custody because it's very easy to uh and we've and there's been cases of this where uh dna gets mixed up and uh one fellow was arrested once and it turned out he was in the an ambulance just before uh, they went to the crime scene and his DNA got placed on the crime scene by, by happenstance. Um, and so if you collect the DNA at the crime scene itself, it's not going to work this way because you, you have to be able to preserve the ch- custody, chain of custody. That's an excellent answer. Now, when the rapid, uh, what's the term again? Rapid? Rapid DNA network. That's what the FBI is calling it. Now, does that then uh, not only gather the DNA and analyze it, but does it put it out to both CODIS and the uh, commercial databases for potential matches? Uh, if it's within the police department, if it's in the booking area, <laughs> because CODIS has very, very strong rules about who can access that database and how they can access it. Okay. Uh, so you can do it if the, the, the program, the rapid DNA system is in the police department and it's been managed by the police and so forth. But that's another reason why you can't take it out, you know, to a crime scene and run it uh, because of the rules around CODIS. Um, does it does it also run it out into the commercial databases too as well? Well, you need to understand because this is very controversial is, you know, is, is privacy issues. And so the mainstream DNA, uh, commercial sites, uh, they will only make their, their databases available, uh, if the police have a subpoena kind of situation. So it's okay. courts, but there is a DNA, public DNA, uh, site, uh, which is JEDCOM, which is how the Golden, uh, State Killer was caught and how quite a few others since then, uh, where they announced from the get go, um, you know, the police will and may have access to this database and you knowingly participate in it. So that is, that is the, the, the go to, uh, place. And, um, and rather than, you know, you see all these fancy ads for some of the major commercial sites. 
um, they, they, their like blood depends on preserving their privacy of their clients, their customers. Okay. Now, is this also, uh, because it's all brand spanky new and it's all coming up as we go along, are, are we dealing with issues of um, who uh, in the police departments do this? Is it going to be done by sworn personnel? Is it going to be done by non-sworn personnel? You, you're talking union issues here. You're talking uh, budgets. You know, and so there's a lot of uh, moving parts with this. What's What do you see? Or, or hearing as uh, as this, as this uh, technology is taking place, how how it drags um, institutions along with it. Well, what I'm hearing is a lot of uh, uh, hobbyists are going to their uh, local police department offering their services. <laughs> okay, and, and that's uh, for uh, a professional genetic genealogist like myself. That that just you know the hair ends up at the back of my neck hearing those stories because uh, sure. you know I mean you only need to have one major you know uh, mistake to, to, to totally you know tarnish the whole efforts okay. um, but uh, what is clear is that in a relatively few short years from now uh, you're going to have a, a genetic genealogist on every police department uh, force it's, it's going to be another job a job description okay. uh, that uh, and also they will probably be outsourcing to some of the, the commercial sites as well. But it's, it's you know, the wild, wild west at this point. Okay. And, um, it brings up an interesting question. And you did. You, you covered the gamut. You went from the hobbyist genealogist uh, to the professional genealogist to, uh, um, you know, I'm trying to think of uh, the name of that uh, detective in uh, Joe Friday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just sitting there with a, with a, uh, the Estula chart in front of him. <laughs> but it, it, it is the same as I, I equate this with uh, when they installed uh, police car radios. Really? Uh, this is how transforming this is, is that, uh, you know, in the old days, the, the constable on uh, on the beat, you know, the, 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 the on patrol, constable on patrol, that's where cop comes from, COP, mm-hmm. uh, would always, every 30 minutes, have to go to the, the call-in box on, on his street corner and check in. Um, and, and when the squad cars got those you know, two-way radios, it changed the way policing uh, happened. And this is the exact same thing. Uh, you know, cold cases and genetic genealogists like myself and uh, are recommending that police don't just use this on cold cases. Wasn't there uh, an example of a, of a hot case that yeah. was solved relatively quickly? Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Well, that, that I'm thinking of one in particular where it, it, it got solved, you know, from start to finish. I think it was like six weeks. Weeks um, that uh, because this isn't just you know this isn't what do they say your father's Cadillac or whatever that uh, <laughs> Oldsmobile yes your father's Oldsmobile um, because this can work anytime anywhere to find anybody um, and so to get people to think I mean you know beyond the cold cases as just on every every day uh, this will be just common normal police work mm-hmm. now it also brings up a very interesting which issue too. Not only are we talking uh, cold cases and hot cases, but we're also talking about uh, dormant cases where uh, rape kits are sitting in yeah. uh, police departments.
departments not being touched. Uh, they're at uh, laboratories uh, on backlog for like six, seven months at a time, uh, not getting tested. Uh, it's there are there are all of this DNA that is that has been for whatever reason not put on the radar whatsoever. Exactly. And uh, so there's a there is a backlog of that as well. So it, it, it offers a tremendous opportunity to uh, right a lot of wrongs that had it happened. Sure does because if a bad guy is out there doing it once, he may do it again, and uh, and you want to stop the bad guy. Absolutely. And that's like with the rapid DNA networks that you you can literally run the DNA test in two hours, and it costs out maybe just a couple hundred dollars. Uh, it, it's it's very very you know it's pushing the prices down. Uh, in fact, we're we're seeing uh, a, a bunch of, of law enforcement organizations across the country that have already purchased it and have already put it into use. Uh, I, I'm thinking of uh, like uh, Tucson, uh, Arizona, Orange County is using this out in California. And Orange County, they have their own database of over 180,000 people that were arrested in their jurisdiction in which to compare. Um, and so, you know, it's, 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 it's already out there and it's yeah. just going to expand and expand and expand. And it makes sense. I mean, you hunt in your backyard, you're going to find game, for lack of a better word, you know. So that's interesting. Now, tell me, and this is something that I have a question about. Uh, so let's just say Orange County brings in a uh, person that's arrested and they yeah. do a swab and they put in a, a DNA swab and it gets put into the rapid uh, DNA yeah. process. And then it, there's a hit. What would the hit be on? It would be on um, in CODIS. So it would be what? Of a, of a, um, well, of, CODIS. Of, uh, evidence at a, another crime scene. Uh, another, would you possibly be doing a, an identification check on this individual? To make sure that Absolutely, really it would be an identification check, and it would show if there's, you know, uh, outstanding warrants uh, on them. Uh, if you know, if they have a, a conviction record and so forth, uh, and to to pay, you know, close attention to to this fellow that's sitting in the holding cell. Right. Uh, not a, you know, he gives he gives you a name, Joe Blow. Yeah. And yet the 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 uh, the DNA comes back to uh, Joe Blanowski from Milwaukee, who has a uh, a string of um, uh, convictions and uh, warrants going from Milwaukee all the way down to uh, right, right down Route 66 all the way to uh, Santa Monica. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, and that you, makes sense. And you did, and you found out in two hours, right, that uh, you've got a match, you've got the connection there. That's um, amazing. It's amazing. So stuff. you don't, you know, roust him out in the morning. He does. You don't let him out on bail. Uh, and and the flip side goes too is that if you've got somebody who uh, is a suspect but who in reality is innocent uh, you can take their DNA and show prove that they're innocent and they can go home yeah so that uh, you might have reason to reasonable suspicion that they committed the crime uh, a voluntary DNA swab rules them out obviously now they're they their, their DNA wasn't at the scene uh, mm-hmm. that's just a I want to keep it clear that way their DNA wasn't at the scene so well that yeah, they're, you know. they're not the you know, a target. They're not a a, a, a person of interest. Okay. Well, I, I'm not going to parse it with you, but uh, <laughs> no, it, it's that if there's DNA left at the scene by somebody other than the victim, then most likely it is the suspect. And if it is a suspect and the, the DNA of the person of interest that you have doesn't match that DNA, it, it means that it doesn't match that DNA. Could the person have still been there as a conspirator? Could the 
person have still been in the uh, identified by other individuals? Yeah, possibly, but um, it does. Uh, his DNA doesn't match the DNA at the scene, so I'm just exactly. Gonna, uh, it's, it's, this is an investigative tool to link suspects with items of evidence. Good, uh, we're on the same path. I mean, I, I, former law enforcement. You know, you've been a fraud investigator. Uh, you know, I've been on a defense investigator. So, you know, I'm not trying to parse words with you or, or fight it. I'm just trying to make clear for our listeners as well. So, yeah, that that's all. And that's and that's recent. Are there any other examples that you want to talk about? Or you want to talk about how this thing has grown over the last uh, six, seven months since we talked? Oh, uh, it. I mean, I, I it seems almost like there is a, a, a new arrest almost on a daily basis. Uh, it, it's just going like rapid fire. And, uh, and it's just, it's very, very important because, you know, it, 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 one of the cases that I was, I was looking at just recently, you know, the detectives had worked it for over three decades. And, um, and of course, in, in that, in that particular case, the, 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 the killer had passed away and, you know, they exhumed his body and, and proved that he was the killer. But it, it brings closure, not just for the victim's families, but for the law enforcement personnel people people in law enforcement put their hearts into this this is you know the days and nights and you know and especially the cold cases that that they are in the back of their mind all along and it's really important and very beneficial to finally be able to put closure on and in the last uh i would say 20 25 years I think police uh, departments have become more enlightened in that um, they go to a crime scene. It's not real obvious who the perpetrator is. Uh, gather as much physical evidence as you possibly can, because you never know what uh, the seeds that are planted there will harvest later on with later technology, right? Exactly. Yeah, so. exactly. And, you know, with the, the DNA mugshots, I mean, those we've seen a lot of success with those where, where people, the you know, the, the, the suspect is, is thought to be of one race and the DNA comes back and it shows it's of an entire other race. And so you can, you know, refocus your investigation and, uh, and generate new leads. Okay. Any examples of that you want to share? Um, n- no, not, not off the top of my head, but uh, there are, you know, situations about that, but I, Okay. Well, it's just not right there. I mean, I didn't mean to catch you, but yeah. it just uh, I thought if, if there was one that came to you right off the top of your head, we could talk about, but that's okay. I mean, I understand. Uh, I, I know that from what little reading I did on that was that uh, when a, and I don't want to use the word composite sketch, but it essentially is a composite sketch that was aged to uh, yeah. reflect what the person might look like now, um, putting that out to... Um, the the people that might have been uh, might might have some knowledge of the case might be able to put you in a in in, a, in the ballpark of who potential suspects might be based upon uh, having that information in front of you. But if you know without that, they wouldn't have been able to uh, have an age appropriate uh, exactly. example of, of who the person was that com- that committed the crime. And when they do arrest the, the 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 person, it's amazing when you see the DNA mugshot versus their own face you know because it does add in the aging and the process and so forth um it's 
it's pretty powerful stuff. And all I have to do is put the same haircut on it and bang, it's like an overlay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's great. So I that's bet. the phenotype, uh, the, the, the tool using uh, DNA for facial prediction. Okay. So how do, how do you think this is going to impact on professional um, forensic genealogists like yourself? Is this going to be a, a cottage industry or do you think it's going to be uh, picked up by law enforcement or that uh, law oh, enforcement it, people are going to be trained to do this work or how do you think it's going to, what's going to happen? It, it's already being picked up by law enforcement. I mean, uh, and this was the year, this, this was the year that it, it, it achieved, it broke through the static and, uh, the milestone with the Golden State Killer. Um, and so going forward, uh, there, you know, I'm a genetic genealogist and that job description didn't even exist 15 years ago. No. It didn't. Um, and so the, the, the careers for your, for your listeners, you know, that, um, that there, there are going to be more and more opportunities for your listeners to be able to use, uh, especially if they're, you know, uh, drawn to being detectives and trained professional detectives to be able to utilize those skills. Um, but yeah, the police departments are, are going to be transformed. The FBI already is being transformed. And just by, you know, the, they're embracing this uh, uh, rapid DNA network that they are, are leading the launch on. Um, it's what it means is that it's going to be harder and harder and harder for somebody uh, to commit a crime and to get away with it. Um, that's that's what this means, because your DNA doesn't lie. And that's what I always tell my clients. DNA doesn't lie. It is what it is. And um, and it can be preserved and we can find you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, I, I think, uh, comforting uh, for that exact reason is that uh, a perpetrator of a crime, somebody that is taking away either um, uh, personal property or um, hurting someone's physical safety or threatening someone's physical safety or taking their life. Um, this is a this is a tool that uh, has to be utilized in order to uh, bring justice uh, for the victim uh, as a result of uh, the actions of the individual that uh, perpetrated crime. So I know I kind of said that in a roundabout way, but it's a justification for it, obviously. You know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, there it it is it is just changing everything and the the whole you know the the cousins and being able to find somebody if you have a third cousin match i mean it is we're 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 blanketed there we're in genetic genealogy we're we're finding uh babies that were left at the church doorstep you know they're called foundlings okay. and there's no identification just maybe a note you know on on the they're left in their in their the a box or so forth we're finding their whole families i mean it's it's getting harder and harder to um not to be able to find who somebody is and what okay. their origins are that's a great story that in itself i mean uh you know you, you hear those stories but here it is uh the technology is there that when that person is older and can understand it better they can then uh trace back their family uh rather not rather accurately accurately uh and <laughs> Maybe possibly even uh, pin down who uh, uh, mother and father are, if uh, mom and dad. Oh, absolutely, are. that's that. I do that every day. That's my job, uh, helping adult adoptees. I find the birth parents, uh, and I find them, and that's through genetic genealogy. And I would also just really want to reiterate, because it often is, uh, you know, the poor cousin is that this genetic genealogy 
came into existence because of a, a, a marginalized group in our society called adult adoptees that were never allowed to have access to their own original birth certificate. Right. And, um, and the, the community has, has worked long and hard and we've developed these tools and techniques and we happily share them with law enforcement. And, uh, you know, we would just like to be, uh, uh, equal, you know, playing field with every person who is not adopted and that, uh, and have access to their original birth certificates. Okay. Well, that's a nice way to end this today. Uh, John, I mean, you know, with the way things are rapidly progressing, I, I would see that we might be on again <laughs> in another six more months. And absolutely. It's, right. it's moving so fast. And thank you for having me, John. Thank you uh, very much. Oh, you're welcome. Listen, Listen, I, I, when I when I jumped at this, uh, when I saw the second on uh, the phenome yeah. uh, DNA where they could do the composite st- uh, sketches of the of the individuals based upon the um, DNA, I, I, I saw that as being the second thing following that uh, blockbuster uh, uh, news of uh, the commercial databases being used to uh, put the uh, uh, Golden State Killer into the uh, circle uh, back into the circle of suspects again. Uh, and when those two things combined, I just said, no, I, I just can't wait for a third item. I had to have you come back <laughs> on again and, and we can talk about it. So uh, I, I do appreciate it. I'm going to ask you to just hang on after I turn off the recorder. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, John. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments on the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our guest next week is Dr. Frank Colaprete. He is a professor of criminal justice administration at Kuka College, Kuka Park, New York. And he's also an adjunct faculty member of Norwich University, the New England College, Nova Southeastern University, the Public Safety Institute, and the Civic Institute at Mercyhurst University, as well as the Justice and Training Research Institute at Roger Williams University. Dr. Colaprete served for 20 years in policing and retired as a patrol division operations lieutenant. He's currently teaching, consulting, and conducting independent criminal justice research in a myriad of topics as the owner and lead consultant of Justice Systems Solutions, LLC. He has published three textbooks, Internal Investigations, Practitioner's Approach, and Mentoring in the Criminal Justice Professions, Conveyance of the Craft, both released through Charles C. Thomas Publishers Limited, and Pre-Employment Background Investigations for Public Safety Professionals through the Taylor Francis Group and CRC Press. My pleasure to welcome Dr. Frank Colaprete to our podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, please go to the website and click on our podcast page. There you'll find the backlist. Now, you're probably asking, John, what about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do. And they are available to you free as a download right to your inbox. I have eight short stories and eight vignettes in a book titled Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories. Now here's my ask. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by stories today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friend. Better still, go to the iTunes website and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around our campfire. If you have any questions, please Contact me through the website, www.john, 
johnhoda.com. J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thanks so much and have a great day.